Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dear Dancer. I'm your host, Tiffany, and I am so happy that you're joining us today for our interview with Eshe. Eshe is a part of the 2021 bundle with a slew of different items. She is a dancer of many, many talents. You'll be taking expressive hands and organic veil, Turkish Roman dance, and the artist reset with her as part of this year's bundle. But today on the podcast, we're focusing in on the artistic reset and some of the mind work that goes along with planning out our practices. We'll have to invite her back in the future to talk about some of her other loves in the dance space. So much of what we do as dancers relies on technique and putting in the hours to hone our craft. But what we don't realize a lot of times is that it's our mindsets about practice and about our dancing that can really have a huge effect, not only on our motivation and ability to show up, but on the actual dancing as well. Eshe and I are diving into some of the most common mindset shifts that we can make to take our dance and our practice to the next level. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Everyone, welcome Eshe to the podcast. Eshe, I am so happy to have you joining us today. I'm super excited to be here. So since this is your first time on the podcast, I always like to ask, what's the backstory? How did you find Middle Eastern dance? What drew you in? And how did it kind of turn from a hobby to a whole, like, now you're so busy, you can't see straight? Okay, well, we'll be here for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) Um, So I didn't dance as a child. Um, My mom thought it was possibly too competitive, um, didn't have a positive mindset for a young woman. So uh, when I was an adult, I moved to Japan and I was living in (laughs) this kind of sketchy guest house uh, with all of these uh, guys who were doing this martial art where the master attacks you in the dark and you have to predict it. Oh my goodness. This is like an anime. Yes. It was a very interesting, <laughs> interesting place to live. And when I was there, I saw someone had left this magazine on the table and uh, I found uh, free belly dance lessons in Shibuya. And I went and <laughs> I'm so grateful to this teacher for opening up this door for me because obviously it changed my life. Um, But it was lots of um, get on the floor and be a snake and hissing and um, hippie woo-woo, a bit of a wishery. So obviously, you know, as I went through my dance career, I I unlearned some of these uh, practices that while they're not deliberately harmful, they are harmful um, and they have, you know, impact on real people and who have a beautiful culture. So uh, I became a little more serious and I started training with uh, Michelle of Tokyo, uh, who's also uh, connected to another bundle teacher, um, Heather Louise. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I met her growing up in Tokyo and doing restaurant gigs and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was in the Shakira kind of heyday time. So you know, uh, dancers were very quickly becoming teachers and performers at that time. Uh, So I did learn a lot about myself and a lot about dance, but it's not a pathway that I would necessarily recommend now or nurture someone on that same timeline anymore, because there's just, you know, so much to learn. And now I feel so intimidated by the um, expanse of education available to us. And also, a little bit sad that I can't do all of <laughs> all of the folk dances and but I think it's also beautiful that people are realizing 
that it isn't possible and that you do need to to focus and dedicate yourself to you know a style and really mm -hmm. invest yeah when I would you know when I was starting out there would be people that were like oh I took one Polynesian dance and now one lesson and now I'm going to incorporate it into my fusion so I'm really happy to see that we're evolving I think as a, a community beyond these kinds of practices yeah so yeah, I, I lived in Japan for a while and I was performing in restaurants and shows and I, uh, and then I moved to Korea and I was there for quite a while and ran a studio and collaborated with a lot of artists and dancers. Uh, Japan and Korea both have really wonderful, dedicated belly dance scenes. Mm -hmm. And then I moved back to Canada where I'm from. And there you have it. And that's, yeah, that's <laughs> It just started off as this one free class where you were rolling around on the floor and then, you know, you've, you've come so far in the time. I've, I don't know that I've ever heard that as a first class experience, to be honest with you. Like usually people come in and they're like, oh, the music caught me or this caught me, but. Yeah, it was like, there were tapestries and incense was burning and it was a very, I'm honestly the worst dancer I've ever met. And I think it's one of the reasons I'm a a good teacher is because I had to put in, I was shaking, like just shifting my hips side to side was so challenging for me, for someone who wasn't in their body, who didn't consider themselves. You know, I had all those narratives that a lot of beginner dancers have like, oh, I'm not a dancer. I'm not coordinated. I'm not rhythmical. And those aren't true. We're just, you know, out of touch with that side of ourselves or out of practice. So mm -hmm. that's part of what, like, I also didn't take dance as a child. Right. Like I, I wasn't allowed to, my dad didn't believe in it. And so I came to the dance, I was 17, 18, and I had, mm -hmm. hadn't taken any kind of dance form before. And that's something that I kind of am jealous of, of the people who did start as children is that they never necessarily lost that weird thing that kids do where they just move around all the time and are super into their bodies. Like it becomes more like, quote unquote controlled, or it makes more sense. It's not just like the random wiggles of a four-year-old, but you, you stay in touch with that piece. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't have that. And I think it's not so much that I am like, oh, I wish I had taken ballet so I could do these things. It's like, I just kind of wish I'd been more in touch with my body when I started. I get that. Yeah. I do. I do have envy though. When I see some pointed toes of people that are like, I've been doing ballet since 1937. Um. <laughs> those beautiful pointed toes and those beautiful turns. We'll get there. We'll just get there a different way. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's too bad. Decolonized dance wasn't more popular when people, <laughs> I could have told them, Oh, I'm not pointing my toes. Cause my dance is decolonized. <laughs> There you go. myself years of training. So I do think those conversations are interesting too now, you know, around like pointed toes don't actually make our dance any better. Mm -hmm. um, I understand, you know, the idea of using them for lines and extensions. So if you're in a theater, the movement is visible, but um, it is interesting to me that we're having these conversations around, do we want to still include these kinds of movements in our dance? And uh and why? Like, let's really think about why we're incorporating these things. And yeah, and where we're where we're getting it from. Super important. Yes. So for the 2021 bundle, one of your offerings is going to be an artist artistic reset, uh, which helping people kind of plan their intentions for the upcoming year, doing some internal work, movement research. And I thought this would be a super helpful topic for us to dive into today. So my first question is going to be how important do you find planning to be 
when dancers are approaching their practice? For me as an outside spectator, often when a dancer tells me that things are not happening for them in dance, I oft, what I often see is they're not organized, uh, they're not reliable, and you can be the most talented dancer in the world. No one's going to want to work with you if you're hard to work with, they have to chase you all the time, those kinds of things. I also think like if you're not tracking your progress, you're probably not making any. And if you don't have a plan or a goal that you're, you know, you visualized and you're moving towards, and there are all different kinds of ways we can do this, but how are you going to get to where you want to be if you have no idea where that is? And I think it's totally okay if you're a hobbyist, if you, if you don't want to have a goal, if you're like, this is my joy time, this is my joy place, we can totally honor that. But if you're feeling some sense of dissatisfaction about where you are in your career, in your dance, those kinds of things, then let's make a plan and make make it better and figure out where we want to be and what what who we want to be as well. Right. It's like as a teacher, we can we can get you anywhere. We can help you reach anything, but you have to tell us what that is. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Only you know. Only you know where you want to go. Yeah. So we've got gas in the car, but if we don't know where we're driving to, all the food and all the coolers and all that's great. But if we don't <laughs> actually have somewhere to be, like, or you know where we're we're driving to, and those goals can also be refined and changed. And you know, oh, upon reflection, this is this is actually what I want to do. So sometimes goals don't actually get us to that goal, but like help us redefine the path. This, I think this is so important because I feel like sometimes when I talk to people about setting goals or tracking your progress, doing these things, creating focus areas in your dance, people, I feel like they think I'm asking them to choose the, the one thing and this is the thing and it will never change. Right. But that's not, that's not true. Just like you said, like you work towards that thing and then an opportunity comes up and you're like, Oh, never mind, I'm going to go do that. And then your goals change and you work in that direction. That's how life is, right? No decision that we make, very few decisions that we make are like permanent. This is it for the rest of forever. These things can change and they're supposed to change. It's dance. And sometimes too, I realized for myself, because I I started doing a lot of personal work and coaching work this year, meaning like hiring coaches and and getting reflections back. I realized like, um, once I started making goals, I realized that I actually had a ton of limiting beliefs around myself and my art. So actually like having conversations about what I wanted, you know, led me to reflect on how I'm blocking my own path in some ways. And I didn't realize like, oh, the person who's most in my way is me. And the empowering side of that is the person who can also get me the closest (laughs) to where I want to be is me too. Mm -hmm. I love uh, thinking about, um, I've been trying to think about too, like, is this action getting me closer to my goal? Am I acting in a way that's getting me closer to the goal? So these are the kind of things we're going to be talking about. How can I make a plan to be who I want to be? What are some of the limiting beliefs that you found in yourself over this the course of this year, if you don't mind sharing with us? Yeah. Okay. Let's get real personal. Want to see some tears? Um, <laughs> so I had um, very common, I think in Femme people and women, I had a lot of limiting beliefs about money and uh, making money and feeling guilt um, around any kind of success I had, feeling like I wasn't deserving. I realized I I felt uh, 
that I wasn't deserving sometimes. So working through that. And then I also had artistic beliefs that were untrue. So sometimes it takes comments from other people. So uh, I was doing the Galen Hooks intensive and everyone, everyone was just like, you are so creative. And I realized like I felt some resistance to that, which is really funny because um, (laughs) my family has called me artsy fartsy since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I the first shows I produced were in my basement and it cost a hug or a kiss to get in. Nice. I had, um, <laughs> I would bring down, uh, like cereal boxes and I would stop the show and I would be like, we need to interrupt this for a word from the sponsor. I've always been really creative, but for some reason I had this vision of myself that I was not a, a creative person. Uh, sometimes taking in comments from other people can help with that, but also just speaking to yourself the way that you would speak to to another person. You know, you're deserving of the kindness you give to other people. Taking time and, and making sure you're being um, compassionate to yourself. You know, even being in the bundle, to be honest, uh, I, re- <laughs> I realized there was like, you know, I was like waiting. Is she going to write me and be like, this is a mistake. <laughs> it was supposed to be someone else. Nope. You know, I think we don't always talk about those kinds of things. Yeah. And it, you know, you're just supposed to be cool about like, oh yeah, I'm in this show. I'm in this package. No big deal. You have to act like you deserve it almost. And like you do deserve it. Thank you. I I think we don't always talk about that. Like as um, you know, sometimes your career progresses, you know, I know you're supposed to just act cool, but I, I want to be really honest about the process for myself and that like, I'm so excited. I don't care if it's not cool. I'm super excited. And also just be honest about like, yeah, hey, I had some challenging feelings about myself. But when I write down and I reflect, you know, I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be successful. And and so do you. So figuring out you know, what we're holding on to and like, why would I hold on to that belief that I'm not creative? Like, how is that serving my art? It's not, it's just holding me back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the ideas are flowing even more when you speak to yourself in a positive way and you say, I'm creative, I'm going to make a dance Mm -hmm. versus, you know, coming from the other side, which is not going to yield you the most creative result, the best result, you know, all of those things, realizing how disruptive thoughts um, impact our artistry and our lives and our connections to other people. I think that's so important because it, it affects so many different parts of our dance, I think, right? Like when you show up and you're about to get on stage, I know like my refrain, like almost every time before the curtains open on a show is what the hell are we doing here? We're just going to make, we're just going to do it wrong. <laughs> like the tray's going to fall off my head. The music's like, like the, the litany of like, here are all the things that are about to go wrong. Like right before the curtain opens, it's like, it's something that my brain has just decided as a habit. So it happens right when you go on stage, it happens when you're watching your dance videos for the 21 days of belly dance. You, you go and you make a video to post and you're like, you're not being the kind friend when you watch that video right? Like you're being a jerk to yourself. Somebody else said those things to you, you would walk out of the room, right? We tell ourselves these things when we show up to practice, when we show up to perform, when we show up any way for our dance and all it does is make us not want to show up. Yeah. So remembering your why is also part of the artist reset. And it's like, you know, when I did my first, uh, I can remember my first restaurant gig in Tokyo and I was on the subway and I was very sick, <laughs> very, very sick on the subway and was not pleasant. And I asked, I had this internal conversation. Why am I doing this? Oh my gosh, why am I making, and I was, and then the answer was because you love this. So I was, and then the conversation continued. <laughs> 
okay, but we can't do this every show. We can't be, you know, making ourselves sick before we show up. This level of dysfunction, like this is, this is not okay. And then the conversation I had with myself was like, you know, you're not a neurologist. You're not a surgeon. Okay. What's the worst that's going to happen if you do a bad dance? Like nobody is going to pass away. So remembering to like, okay, I I'm doing this because I want to connect with people because I love music and I love dance and I love creativity and I love expression. But I think the flip side is also, you know, anchoring ourselves in, (laughs) I love uh, the choreographer's handbook when it says Mm -hmm. just over and over again, it's just a stupid dance, (laughs) taking it super seriously, preparing, doing your best. And then also that release that you know, it's just a dance, like allowing, allowing yourself to be and to be in that moment is also very powerful Mm -hmm. and healing and nurturing for people watching and hopefully for yourself as well a little bit. Yeah. Thinking about your purpose. Why are you taking this class? What do you hope to get out of it? And also showing up with, you know, that's part of having goals is like, is this class going to get me closer to who I want to be? And sometimes we can take a class in, you know, in an exploratory kind of fashion and be like, am I interested in this style? Mm -hmm. You know, does it have something for me? Or like, can this uh, instructor help guide me? Do they have some kind of, and I truly do think you can take something out of everything. I think you can take something out of everything if you have a goal. Yes. Right. Like if you know, like, say you have a focus area in your dance and you're really working on your upper body expression in your arms. Like you can take anything, you can take something out of any class because you'll focus on that part of it. Mm -hmm. But if you're just kind of like taking things and you don't kind of have an idea of what you're getting at, then you take bits and pieces away from everything, but it doesn't necessarily like coalesce into progress in your dance. Yeah. If you're hungry and you walk into the hardware store, yeah, fortuitous things will not not happen, you know? Um, Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's why I think it's the... Uh, good and bad. I think people are drawn to this style because of its freedom. Mm -hmm. And, but the flip side of that is uh, people that are drawn to freedom obviously want to be free and, and float. And (laughs) so sometimes this other side, this planning side is, is almost invisible, honestly. Like if you don't have someone who is coaching you towards Uh, growth, if growth is your goal. Um, Like I can remember being in classes almost 20 years ago and asking for feedback and, you know, the instructor being like, it was gorgeous. It was art. Oh, we're so afraid to give feedback in this dance. How could I possibly, you know, uh, say anything else? And um, it's the same reason I I see a lot of people rejecting uh, choreographies or rejecting competition. Mm -hmm. Or, um, and I think it's to be clear, I think it's totally fine. If you're like, I, I'm not, I don't want to do a choreography. I don't want to do a competition. That's fine. But if you're afraid of it, that's what I think is. It's different. It's not the same. Yeah. If you're not engaging, cause there's a mystery there, let's figure that out. But I think that the freedom that attracts people is sometimes also what holds them back when they want to go further. And they're just like, I don't know how to take this to the next level because it, you know, that's not what they're immersed in. A lot of us came up in this dance without teachers giving us that feedback regularly. We did get the, it's gorgeous. We're not taught to plan and have goals and figure it out. Like, and I find that 
dancers who have coaches, they tend to be better at this because somebody is showing them how to do it. They're showing them how to plan, showing them how to work towards goals, right? Because what's the point of having a, you know, six private lessons with someone if the teacher doesn't know where they're trying to get you, right? Any good teacher will have a goal that they're trying to help you reach through like those coaching packages. But for like the majority of dancers who are just here and coming to class and showing up to workshops and stuff who can't afford to have a coach, right? They're not taught necessarily a way to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to put together the dance tracker this year as our freebie, because like, I want people to be able to jump into this no matter where they are in their dance, if they're beginners, advanced, intermediates, whatever, no matter what kind of, you know, financial situation they might be in, can they afford to have someone teach them? Well, here's, here's an alternative. Like, yeah, I think this needs to become a cornerstone of dance. I don't know at what point it necessarily needs to come in, but I think it would help so many people if we could kind of help them figure out how to get over the plateaus. Yes. And I think the the 21 day challenge is great too, because um, it's short, but I'm hoping that people will see that consistent sustained effort yields results. Yes. And even if it's just 10 minutes a day, you know, that's 200 minutes by the end of the challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so easy to, if you don't have a plan, you know, uh, like when is your dance practice going in that day? If you're just like, oh, I'm going to try and practice before class next week. When are you going to do it? If you set even five minutes, five minutes is better than the no minutes. That's probably going to happen if you're just like, oh, well, this came up and then I had that emergency. So actually, and then what happens, and I know what happens is you get to class and you're like, oh, actually I haven't danced since the last time I was here. And especially, yeah, for me, it's that, you know, people are expressing, I desire growth, but I don't know how to make it happen. And the truth is that the, you know, unsexy side of dance is you need to show up for yourself. You need to prioritize your own practice. You need to have a plan. And it doesn't have to be also color charted and printed out. It doesn't have to be this big thing, right? It can be just a little plan. It can be as simple on my lunch hour, I'm going to save 10 minutes every lunch hour and I'm going to pop in this shimmy video and I'm going to do it five days a week for 20 days. It doesn't have to be grand and lofty, although it can be if that speaks to you, but it's like, when are you doing it? Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? And stacking up your day in support of those habits that are going to nurture you. This is what I find works better for a daily practice, like as opposed to just trying to fit it in throughout the week. You know, like if people are like, oh, 10, 15 minutes doesn't work for me. The alternative usually to them is I need an hour or two hours once or twice a week, but life is going to get in the way, period, right? You have kids, you have work, there's traffic, there's COVID, right? Like there's a million things that will just get in the way. And if you're trying five or six days a week, to do a little practice, life will get in the way part of the time. And if you try to do one practice a week, life will get in the way 100% of the time, right? So it's almost like you're, you're, you have better odds of actually doing the thing when you work it into your days, as opposed to like making these big chunks and hoping they'll happen. I don't remember the stats, but when it's easy to implement and it's a shorter amount of time, you're more likely to do it. So if you can give yourself a gold star, shimmy for one minute, gold star, that's actually going to be more helpful to you 
than if you planned this like three hour shimmy marathon. Mm-hmm. I can remember, yeah, as a, especially when my kids were younger, trying to pop on a three hour video workshop. No way. Yeah. It, it would take me eight and a half hours to get through the three hour workshop because I had to stop all the time. And I was like, I don't know how dancers, other dancers are doing this. And I like, I realized later they aren't. They aren't. I was about to say, I was like, I have a three and a half year old. Uh, I don't, that's why I don't go yeah. to live classes most of the time because I, I do my dance practice at two in the morning because that's when everybody else is asleep. Yeah. I think you have to find what works for you. I loved everyone thought there was something wrong with me, but, uh, I was taking an intensive and it was four o'clock in the morning till five 30 in the morning, two or three days a week. And I was just like, honestly, like it's, it's nice. No one else is awake. No one else is asking me for anything. I can just focus hundred percent on myself. So I was like, although yeah, it's, you know, set your alarm for three fifty-five. <laughs> uh, I, it was great for me to to practice as a mom, you know, very, very early in the morning. I know I'm not the only dancer that does that, but uh, it really worked for me to be able to prioritize my practice. Like that was really, really helpful. And I think this just goes to show that everybody's practice is completely different and that Mm -hmm. we can't judge ourselves based on what anybody else is doing. Like, oh, she's doing this much dancing or they're doing that much dancing or he's doing this every day. Like it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, what actually fits your life and your schedule and what you have going on. And your way of learning. I try and point that out to my, my dancers as well. Like, oh, okay. Did you notice that you are actually a visual learner or you're a counter or, you know, I try and reflect back to them, like how they learn. So they know that also that they can request that. So later on when they're like, oh, actually, can you show it to me with counts or, oh, can you, can we speed it up and do it with momentum? I think I, you know, that helps me figure out the weight changes a little bit more, but yeah, knowing, knowing how you learn, knowing if you're uh, I like the pressure of having my camera on and being in a zoom room and that I have to make it at that time. Or if you are a, I like doing it at two 30 in the morning, you know, or even the genres you're interested in. So bundle is great too, because you can try a bunch of different things and figure out, Oh, I'm really into veil or, you know, society is my jam or melody is what speaks to me. Those kinds of things. That's why I love, it's like a festival that goes all year. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the reason it's set up the way it is. Cause people right? You come in to the bundle because you like this teacher or that teacher, or you're really into a couple of the classes, but then the rest of it kind of feels like you're getting it for free because the price is so ridiculous. So then you end up yeah. trying things that you wouldn't normally try. Like we've had people who hated folklore come into the bundle and take a folklore workshop because they have it. It's here. They might as well. And now they travel to take folklore workshops because they love it so much. Like they just never would have tried it before. Yeah. Um, So giving people the opportunity to do that is 100% one of the reasons that I put this whole project together because there's, there's so many people teaching online and they're teaching such different things. And everybody, like you said, they learn differently. They want different things. They want live classes. They want pre-recorded classes. Some people really like the hybrid model mm-hmm. where they get a little bit of both. Like there are so many different ways to teach this dance in person and online, but you need to take what works for you. 
Yeah. We were talking about the price last night in class and I was like, there's like 50 teachers. And I was like, and even if they only taught you like one 20 minute class for an hour, you know, I'm like, you're looking at like a thousand plus dollars. Like it's such a a great deal. It's like priced at like a weekend. Yeah. You know, if you go to like a weekend festival, it's the exact same price, but you get access throughout the year and to like, yeah, some of I'm super excited to take all the classes and learn from everyone. Yeah, actually the value of the bundle this year is it's like $4,200 or something like all of the classes together. So this, this year is the biggest discount I think we'll probably ever have on a bundle, Mm. like on the total value. So I'm super excited for people to jump in, but I want to kind of reiterate some of the mindset things that we have talked about through this episode. So for people who are getting into their dance space today to remind themselves. So we've got, don't compare yourself to other people. Don't be afraid of making money if you are a professional dancer. Yeah. You deserve to make money. Remember your why. So yes. why are you why are you there? Are you there to feel good? Then then be nice to yourself and release and let go. Uh if you're there for a specific goal, keep that in mind. Kindly encourage ourselves. And you can also direct, like quite often the instructor is open to, you know, if you say, I would like more critique, I would like more feedback. Having those dialogues around, what do you think? You know, presumably if you're studying with someone, you you trust them and trust their expertise. So how do you think I could go further? I see a lot of people jumping into private classes sometimes a little bit early. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, depending on your level, you probably don't need private instruction right at the beginning. Uh, speaking kindly and having a positive mindset, approaching everything with delight and curiosity, remembering that you have the tools, you're creative, you have everything you need to get through this class. If it's a challenging class, some things I do, I congratulate myself on showing up for myself. Yes. You did a great job. The hardest part of any practice is actually showing up. So I'm like, you did the hardest thing already. Remembering that. This, right? People who do the 21 days, they show up for like 10 minutes and they end up practicing for 30 or 40 some days. Yeah. Because it, I, we got them over the hurdle of the showing up, yes. right? That is 100% true. Showing up is the hardest part. And then I also, so if the chat, if the class is really challenging, I count myself down and I'm like, okay, there's 17 minutes left. You can do anything for 17 minutes. Um, you know, you only have to get to the end of the class, checking in with yourself. So also honoring your body. Of course, if you have limitations or injury or those kinds of things, you know, make a negotiation. May, I'm not going to go full out, but I'm going to mark it or um, I'm going to just accept where I am today. And today I'm not going to do the floor work section. So we also have to modify and make changes. And that's totally okay. Like there's yes. nothing to be guilty about, like, or anything you're there to learn. And you're doing what you need to do to make that happen. And that's to be honored, not to feel guilty about. Making your injury worse is not going to make your dance better. (laughs) You know, rehearsing, getting in your muscle memory, you know, like you've injured your back and you're hunched over and you're like, I'm going to rehearse this dance a hundred times. Your muscle memory is going to remember, okay, when we do this shimmy, we want to hunch the shoulders forward and drop the chin to the chest. So honoring when we are fatigued or injured and resetting and, and figuring out how to, how, how can you serve yourself the most that day? Intrusive thoughts sometimes happen in class. So I don't think there is a way to stop them altogether, but you can notice them. Oh, hello, intrusive thought. 
and then let it go by. You don't have to respond to it. I'm a big encourager also of like body neutrality because a lot of people struggle with self-image and especially in a dance room where there's often mirrors and those kinds of things are confronting them. So you, you actually don't have to love yourself, although I would love it if you did, but just being neutral about your body. Okay. I'm going to put my toe here and lift my hip and not necessarily have a comparative dialogue or a negative dialogue to yourself. Those kinds of things can weigh you down and take you. And also you're talking to yourself about how terrible you are. You're definitely not hearing what the instructor is saying, right? You're not paying attention to your body. You're not, you're not in this, you are in your head, in your brain. Yeah. So you can say, you can say to your body, Hey, we're doing this now. This, this is not the time for a conversation knowing as well when your editor is invited. So mm-hmm. the editor comes in at the end stage when we're polishing, when we're refining, when we're creating, when we're improvising, when we're warming up, when we're learning, the editor is not invited. No, the editor is unnecessary at those stages. So also realizing like, Hey, you're, you've showed up too early for work. We don't need, (laughs) but people have, you know, their editor going and and they're like, I can see sometimes like the negative self self dialogue. Um, If you are doing a choreography class or a combination class, remembering that you don't have a DeLorean, you don't have a time machine, you can't go back and so don't chase that moment, just let it fall away. It happened. Try and take the note if you've got one, or if you noted it for yourself. Oh, I forgot the pot of section and, you know, put the energy into the next time, figure out what you need to do. Do I need to run that 10 second section in the break? Do I need to ask a clarifying question? Um, but I see a lot of people that you know, accumulate, oh, I, I made a mistake here and a mistake there and a mistake there. And they're just getting heavier sometimes in class. Suddenly they're Atlas trying to dance. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, just release. If you have a human moment, be compassionate with yourself and move on because the teacher isn't taking note. Oh, she made a mistake here. And (laughs) none of us are doing that. (laughs) We don't have time for that. No, it, it doesn't serve your dance. I think, you know, remembering too that nobody's watching you. Like if you really think about it, do you remember who was standing next to you in the next, the last class you took or what they were wearing or no, no one remembers those kinds of things. So uh, not getting in your head about those kinds of things. Yeah. Those are a couple of (laughs) the mindset tips I have. Yeah. If you have a goal, you can drive your artistic vision further, whatever that is. And if it's just to get better at dance, you know, that, that goal and that plan can be pretty simple. So those are my, (laughs) my mindset. Yeah. It's fantastic. I think that this is such a huge part of what holds dancers back. Like you're saying, right? Like the beauty and the terror of it, right? Is that you're the one holding yourself back, but that means that you're the one who can change it, right? Yeah. It's so empowering. If you realize, you know, you are capable of delivering yourself into a grander version of yourself. You are, you can totally, you can do anything you can think of. And that's magical. Yeah. Like that's a magical thought. Awesome. Eshe, thank you so much for joining us, for being here, for sharing these tips around practice. Cause I know a lot of people needed to hear this today, right? Things always tend to show up at the right time. So I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of people posting that they were looking forward to the 21 days of belly dance challenge as a reset to be nourished, you know, to discover something in themselves, to feel supported, especially after, you know, we're now 18 months into this 
<laughs> struggle. Right. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful time to sit with ourselves, make plans, be in our bodies, be creative, explore what's possible, connect to ourselves, connect to others. Just a wonderful a wonderful time for our for bundle, a wonderful time for dancers. I'm super excited. It's fantastic. Can you tell people how can they find you on the internet? How do they follow you on social? What have you what have you got going on and how can they be a part of it? Uh on uh Instagram and TikTok, I'm Hamilton Belly Dance. Uh I'm at hamiltonbellydance.com on the World Wide Web. Uh, I'm also <laughs> patreon.com slash Hamilton Belly Dance. Uh, I run uh, Glitter, super amazing exploding art show, <laughs> uh, as well as Hamilton International Belly Dance Festival. Sorry, Hamilton International Belly Dance Competition. I don't even know the name of the stuff I run. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Awesome. I'd love to connect with other dancers and uh, meet new people. Glitter is something I, I believe I read that you're planning on continuing it even post pandemic, whatever that looks like, right? This is something you plan to keep going. Yeah. We're, um, I've been running glitter since 2007. So normally we're in person, but yeah, for the next little bit, at least we'll continue to be online. And then actually the club wrote me that they have a streaming setup so we could actually continue to offer a hybrid model whenever that is that folks feel safe being back in person. I think for where I am in the world, it's not yet. And for my community, what I'm hearing is not yet. But hopefully soon. Yeah. Seeing, I think, um, you know, the beautiful thing about this time is like, we're not limited by geography and we can see this as an opportunity or we can see it as, you know, being, it's totally up to us how we view this experience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, of course at first I was feeling so heavy and isolated and cut off and losing gigs and opportunities and all those things. But then I realized like, oh, but actually we also have limitless possibility. Like the other side of this is that I can make a show with someone in the Netherlands and someone in Japan. And it's so powerful. And, you know, to me, it's another example of how we can use our mindset to change how we experience life and dance. Awesome. Eshe, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. The way that we talk to ourselves and the way we see our own art is so important and affects everything from how we show up to our actual dancing. I'm so excited to have been able to have this conversation today with Eshe and to hear her stories and struggles because so many of us go through the same blocks, the same nervousness, and hearing about it from other dancers, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel less alone. And realizing that helps with our self-compassion because we realize that we're not the only ones. Make sure to follow Eshe for more brilliance. You can find all of her social links at thebellydancebundle.com 81. And today, just notice what's going through your brain. If you're going to change your mindset, you've got to realize what the current one is first. <laughs>